morning, church. Uh, it's good to see my brothers and sisters. And uh, I'm telling you, after singing a song like that, knowing what I'm about to get into in Ephesians chapter 3, and knowing the part that the church plays in bringing praise and glory to God is overwhelming me. And I'm just excited. I'm excited about the sermon and excited to get into it. So let me pray real quick because I, I can't not pray after that. And then we'll get right into it. Father, you are wonderful. You are worthy of all of our praise. God, everything that we have comes from you. Every good thing we experience comes from you, the Father of lights. And Father, we, 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 can, we can miss and fail to give you the gratitude and the praise you deserve, but yet your grace still abounds. And through Jesus, you work in our hearts to want you, to love you, and to praise you. And I pray that you would only keep working your spirit in us. Help us to be more sensitive to him and to give you the praise, the honor, and glory you deserve. Open our hearts and minds as Paul wants us to, to be able to understand the things we're going to read this morning. And God, let us give you all the glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me recap and let, let me bring you up to speed with where we've been because we're in chapter 3 of Ephesians and this is the last chapter before we go into the um, Christmas season. And so far we have been focusing on our banner here, God's presence, transcendence. We haven't gotten over here and we've, we've, we've repeated that and we've talked about that because that's purposeful. Because Paul spends the whole first three chapters talking about who God is and what we need to know about him and how necessary it is for us to understand and grasp these things. You look through scripture, especially in the book of Hebrews, and these people were stuck on, on milk when they needed more deeper things of God to grow in who they needed to be. And so we need to understand these deep things of God, who he is and what he's done for us. And like we learned last week through Pastor Charles, which was kind of the culminating uh, section for our series, Built Together, we found out that we individually are being built together into the holy temple of God. God's residence, his residing, where he abides, where he lives, is inside us. Not partially, but completely living within his people. And when his people come together with the spirit, him living in there, we are being built together into a holy temple. And so when we think about God's presence, sometimes we think about some place we have to go, but the realization is, is God is residing within us. And the more we can comprehend that and know that and to grow in the truth that he's in us and how he works through us, we will begin to transcend the knowledge that we see around us and we'll be looking into the heavenly places. And it's that type of transcendent knowledge that we need that will lead to transformation as we'll see in 2019 when we start. So we saw that we're a holy temple being built together and Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. Cornerstone. Everything, everything comes from him. Chapter 3, Paul is going to start to pray again. He's prayed before, he's going to pray again, and he's going to kind of digress and talk about this thing called the gospel and the powerful, powerful gospel and what it is and what we must know. Let me tell you a little story, something that happened here recently to, me, to Sarah and I. Um, we were in the bed late. When I say late, this is like midnight, maybe past midnight, close to one. And we'd been watching a movie or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but we were up watching a movie. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this thunderous 
boom, shock shook through the house. And immediately we both jumped out of bed. I mean, it was like instant, like, like duck and cover. And it was so loud. It shook the house. It sounded like it came from like right outside of the window in the living room next to the road. And my immediate thought was a shotgun blast went off. I grew up around guns. I, I can tell you the difference between a shotgun, a pistol, or a rifle, and it sounded like a shotgun. Normally that wouldn't bother me, but when it's right outside your window and it's like one o'clock at night, that gets my attention. And so Sarah's like, what is that? And me, I'm like, turn off the lights, turn off the lights. I don't want anybody to see. And I can like get down and I'm like walking. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, shh, shh. I don't want anybody to see me. I'm like trying to walk up to the window to see if I can like see anything, you know? And then I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, let's be honest. Like what realistically could this be? And I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe someone had a wreck and they hit the tree right outside of our house. And so I'm trying to look to see if I can see a car or anything. And then after about five minutes of kind of walking through the house and, and, and then thinking the worst that someone's breaking in, someone's going to kill us. Like, you know, this, this man stuff that you do as a, as a father, as a man, I got to protect my family. You know, you're, you're going through these scenarios of what you're going to do if you run into this stranger. After I calmed down a little bit and start trying to think realistically about it, I couldn't figure out, couldn't figure out what it was for the life of me. And we're like, let's just go back to bed. And I lay down. And when I put my head down on my pillow, I'm like, I, I'm not going to be able to sleep. I can't. I can't. This is like a spider. It can't just scurry away. I have to kill it. I have to know it's dead, right? Like, I have to get this thing. I have to know what this was. And so I, I get up and I continue to pace back and forth through the house trying to figure out what in the world that noise was. I mean, because it was very alarming. And so after investigating, I get into the kitchen and, and I'm looking just looking around, staring, waiting for something to come to mind. And I remember I left the kitchen window open. It's a big, big window. It's not a normal, it's a big window. I left it open and it didn't have anything propping it up. And what it, I bet what happened was that thing just came crashing down this late at night. And so I said, Sarah, listen to this. And I like dropped it again. And she's like, yep, that's what it was. It just boom. And so finally, in that moment, I figured out what I needed to know to be able to relax and find some peace and go back to bed. You know, there's things in life, things in life like we must know. We're like, man, I, I've got to figure that out. I got to know what that is before I can go to bed. Other things like that. And we come to this portion of scripture. Paul is going to give us some gospel truths that we must know. He, he found it so significant to digress from his prayer and give us what we're going to read because he knows these things must be known. We as a body, we have to grasp this individually and collectively. These are gospel truths we must know. So let us not just go off to bed and sleep with partial knowledge. Let us open up, look and see what Paul's writing, and let's grasp these truths together. Ephesians chapter 3 Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to read through all 13 verses because I want us to have as much context as we can get. So read with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Paul says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is 
that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7, he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And maybe many of you are thinking what I'm thinking right now. How are we going to get through all of this this morning? Wonderful, wonderful truths. And so Paul is doing this. Look back at verse one as we get into it. Paul starts out and he says this, for this reason, I, Paul, what reasons he talking about? Everything that he just said in chapter two, what God had done for us in the past and who we are through Christ and the peace that he's brought and being built together. For this reason, I, Paul. And really what he's about to do is he's about to pray. And he picks up that prayer in verse 14, which Charles is going to pick up next week. He's going to pick up that prayer and he's going to continue in verse 14. But everything that we're going to go over is a digression before he prays. So he finds it very necessary to talk about the gospel in some specific ways before he prays. And he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a, look at this, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he says this, on behalf of you Gentiles, you see at this time, Paul had been in prison probably about five years in prison. And he didn't call himself a prisoner of Rome. He didn't call himself a prisoner of the Jews. He called himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus because he realizes that even his imprisonment is still a part of God's plan for him. And he says here, on behalf of you Gentiles. So we know the audience. We know he's talking to everyone that's not Jewish by blood. And he's been doing a lot of efforts to include them into this wonderful plan. He says there, on behalf of you Gentiles, you see what had happened is he was wrongfully accused. He took a a Gentile named Trophimus and he was with him. And the Jews concocted this plan to say that he had taken Trophimus past the wall of the Gentiles into the area of the temple that they did not belong. You know, we talked about that a couple weeks ago with the wall of hostility, that at the temple on the outside was the area for the Gentiles and they could not go past it. And so the Jews are saying, Paul took this Gentile, this filthy dog, where he doesn't belong and he's, he's, uh, he's tainted the place and now he's been on trial for around five years. You see the hostility that still exists? For those who do not know Christ, that hostility, Paul is experiencing it right here on behalf of the Gentiles. And he says this, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And this is where this is where he digresses. He says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. In other words, I'm assuming that you've heard my story. Saul, who was a persecutor and ravager of the church, who all of a sudden on the Damascus road experienced life changing transformation and became a proponent for the gospel. And then after some time, actually was delegated to take the gospel to the Gentiles. We know in the book of Acts in chapter 13, he's in Antioch and he's preaching 
to Jewish people and they are reviling and rejecting what he's saying. And so basically he says, okay, I'm going to take this to the Gentiles then for God has commanded me to take this message to the Gentiles so that salvation will go to the ends of the earth. And then he says, and I dust my feet of you. And he leaves and we see Paul becoming the, we see him the father of the taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he's saying, I'm, I'm assuming you've heard of that. That word stewardship is basically the word servant. God has made me a servant. He's put me in charge of what? Of God's grace, the message of grace, the gospel. He put me in charge of it. And he's given that, and now I'm giving it to you. And then he uses this word in verse 3. Look at verse 3. He says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Some gospel truths we must know, and he's going to reveal this. The gospel is called a mystery in the New Testament, and here we're going to explain it a little bit. The first gospel truth we must know is that the mystery of Christ is that salvation is for all people in Christ. Now, one issue I have is I, didn't, I, can't, I can't put in a little phrase, salvation is for all in Christ. I can't, I can't embody everything that I need to say, so let me explain it to you. Look what he says here. He talks about this mystery that was revealed to him, as I have written briefly. So in chapters 1 and 2, he writes about the, the interesting nature of the gospel and the Gentiles being included. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. In other words, I hope, I know when you read this, you'll be able to understand greater the insight that God has revealed to me, I'm giving to you, and I know now you can, you, my goal is to help you understand that. I want you to understand it. And so here we today, we need to understand it. And he says, the mystery of Christ, which was made known, which was not, this is key, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to us, holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Something special, something special has happened through Paul and the apostles and the prophets of that day. That God's culminating plan, everything that he had been working through the Old Testament, year after year after year, captivity after captivity, prophet after prophet, we get to the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene, he lives, he dies, he rises from the dead, and Acts chapter 2 comes in Pentecost where the church is finally instituted and the Holy Spirit indwells people. And the whole book of Acts, we're seeing that the Gentiles are included in this plan. Paul is saying through us, the mystery of Christ has been revealed. This word mystery is different than maybe the way we would use it. You see, when Sarah and I heard this noise, it was very mysterious. We were trying to figure out what it was. And I was able through human exertion and through my own investigatory work, able to figure out the source of the noise. That's not the same mystery here. This is a mystery that had been hidden. You could not figure this out on your own. You see, throughout the Old Testament, you can see replete that God is going to do something for the Gentiles, that he would bring salvation to them, that God would somehow bring some great plan. It's replete. You see it. You see, you see uh, uh, prophecies of the Messiah, what he would do and how he would bear the sins of the people. And you see all of these things, but what could be known about the church? The church being the body where Jews and Gentiles would become one 
That was not known and inconceivable. And God has revealed that specifically to Paul. And now he's bringing this mystery to everyone who will hear. He says in verse 6, this mystery is, and he defines it, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, legally, legally transformed into someone who has a right to the inheritance of the saints, members of the same body, adopted into the family of God, made part of the family. And he says this, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Partakers of the promise in the Messiah. And the promises that God made to the Jews, anyone who comes to Christ will reap the blessing that God gave to Abraham. That all the nations of the world would be blessed. And this is the full culminating meaning of what that looks like through Jesus in the church by the gospel. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Basically, let me put it in other words. The mystery is this, that salvation is for all people. No one's excluded. And it's through means of the gospel, not through Judaism. You see, is put yourself in the situation of a Jew growing and growing and waiting for the Messiah, taking your, your parchments in your Old Testament and waiting and anticipating God's going to bring salvation through this Messiah and I already have salvation through the law of God which I'm abiding in as long as we follow that. And if any Gentile wanted to get in, which they could, they could, they could get in on this, but they had to be proselytized and they had to adopt Judaism. They had to be circumcised and they had to put themselves under the law. And the mystery is that wasn't God's plan at all. It wasn't part of the plan. You see, the law was the teacher leading us to Christ to see our need for him, as Hebrews tells us. And now the mystery is that salvation is for all people in Christ alone, through faith alone, through the good news of the gospel. That's the mystery. Now, let me say this. I say that to us, and we read that, and we're like, yeah, that's great. I know that. That's nothing new. And let me, let me, let me illustrate us this way. You ever see the story of someone who has the, the rags to riches story? They go through great hardship and they have this experience of, of being poor, no money, and, and eking their way through existence. And from, from great story, they, they come into riches. Great, great understanding of what they have and appreciation. And then, then they have kids and then their kids adopt all of their riches and their kids never understand the rags. You see, we are like that because we don't, as Gentiles today, understand the glory of this mystery being revealed because salvation, as far as we've known, has always been available to us. We've understood the gospel and it's always been there available to us. And I think it's very important for us here, even in West Olive, as we read this, to make some type of effort to remember or to think about what it would have been like to have been so ostracized and so excluded from something so glorious. And then to hear Paul, who was a Hebrew of Hebrew, who was Saul, who had been commissioned by God, approved by the rest of the apostles, who's carrying God's message to come to us as Gentiles and say, hey, listen, no, 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 you don't have to get circumcised. No, 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 you're not a filthy dog that is need to be cast away. No, 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 you are part of God's plan and he's looking for people that will worship him in spirit and truth. And Christ has died for the sins of the whole world and anyone who puts their faith and trust in him can be saved. That includes you. And in no way are you excluded or some type of redheaded stepchild. 
says in Acts chapter 13, when Paul said to the Jews, therefore, if you're okay with being unworthy of eternal life, I'm going to take it to the Gentiles. And it says that when he said that, the Gentiles erupted and started rejoicing. You see, we have parents who went from rags to riches, and here we are just inheriting the riches. And I think sometimes we need to stop to pause and think what that, what that means for us. The mystery of the Christ is that, the mystery of the gospel is that salvation is for all, but only in Christ Jesus. That is a glorious message that Paul is revealing, and we're getting to understand it. Now, he's going to talk about something else about the gospel. Here's the second truth we must know. He's going to talk about our duty, and specifically his duty with the gospel. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Of this gospel, what I'm talking about, I was made. I didn't, I didn't choose this, but I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me. Basically, God saved me. God miraculously and beautifully apart from from my own choosing, he came and he interrupted my life on the Damascus road. He blinded me literally. And he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's really hard for you to go against me. No, I'm going to show you. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to make you my instrument. And you're going to go and you're going to live the rest of your life for me. I'm going to make you a minister of mine. So once the enemy of the church is now the forerunner for the gospel of the Gentiles in the church. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, this, this grace was first given to me, and God has made me a minister of it. And I have a responsibility for this gospel now. By the working of God's power. He says in verse 8 To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You see in verse 8 when Paul is showing such humility, he says to me the very least of the apostles. We know elsewhere he calls himself the worst of sinners. He told to Timothy, he said, I was once a, a blasphemer of the church and God was compassionate and merciful to me because I acted out of ignorance and in unbelief and he has given me this duty, this charge of becoming a servant to all. It's not that Paul was somehow extraordinarily worse than everybody on the planet. And so he recognized that and lived like that. It's because Paul had such a great understanding of the gospel and the grace and the riches and the love of God that had been poured out on him and which he did not deserve. He couldn't help but in contrast to that, see himself properly as very low and unworthy and a sinner constantly in need of God's grace. So let's ask ourselves, can we relate to Paul? Do we have this natural understanding of how low and unworthy and sinful and fleshly we are? Because one, one, one truth in our life that will help us know that we truly understand this gospel and live in it day to day is there will be a constant lowering of ourselves in humility. Just like John the Baptist we heard did. He must increase and I must decrease. Like Man, I, I really don't feel that I'm that bad. You are. 
and the gospel, in light of the gospel, you will clearly start to see how bad and wretched and horrible you are, which will in turn make you realize how good and gracious and awesome God is that he would take someone like me and he would make me a minister of this gospel. And he would use me and he would save me and he would give me all of the unsearchable riches in Christ. (laughs) Our duty with the gospel, church, is to share it with all. We must share this with everyone. We have a responsibility to it. It came to us. He says, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable, or maybe your translation says unfathomable, can't even explain it, riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And Paul is admitting, I've been made a minister. This is what I'm, this is what I'm living for. I'm in prison for this and I'm okay with it. Salvation must be brought to all people. We have a duty and a responsibility with it. So think about our individual lives. What are we doing with the gospel? I guarantee you, if you traced your your lineage, your spiritual lineage back, you have salvation today because of Paul, the apostle. One man, one man, one man made a minister by God who has impacted the world and history in a way that we could never imagine. And God used him to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And here we are on a continent on the other side of the country speaking about the mystery of Christ which Paul died for and he revealed. And here we are rejoicing in it and reaping the benefits of it. Are are we now though moved and motivated by the grace God has given us like he gave to Paul to share it with others? You see the enemy would like nothing more than get our eyes off that. Anything, anything else but getting this light and this gospel out to a lost and dying world. You know, we got a lot of open seats here. You know what I don't want these seats filled with? I don't want other people from other churches coming to sit down in these seats. I want God to use us to take the gospel into the light and the darkness of a dying world. And I want to see people saved. I want to see the gospel work. And I want these seats filled with people who are brand new believers as we are carrying our duty for the gospel and sharing it with others and seeing people saved. And we can get so distracted from that. That's, that's what the enemy's fighting for us to constantly neglect. And we can get so distracted by what's going on around us and so fearful Let's think of the opportunities that God has given West Olive, which is unique and I think different than any other church in our area. Paul said, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Any means that is necessary outside of sin, I will do, I will become, I will say, if it will open a door for people to hear. That was his heart. Colossians 4, he prayed. He said, church, pray for me that God would open a door for me to make clear the mystery of Christ, which is why I'm in bonds. Wanted doors to open to be able to speak clearly the mystery of Christ. Let me tell you about two opportunities we already have with hundreds of people that I know are potentially lost that West Olive has. City Harvest. City Harvest, God, has laid in our lap. Laid in our lap an open door every other week to speak clearly the gospel of Christ to people who are not only lost, some of them, but are literally dying. A man recently in the program at the mission who would have come to City Harvest 
in a weak moment of the enemy devouring him, sent him out of the program. He left apart from the apart from the begging of those in the program to stay, left and that night laid down on the train tracks and waited for it to run over him. This is the type of urgency and open door that God has given West Olive to speak every other week. Uh, do, we, do we realize the, that opportunity? Are we rejoicing in it? Are we doing everything we can to reach and to pour into it? We should be flooding those doors at City Harvest to just sit next to and love these people. Every day, while it's still kind of warm, there's hundreds of people walking around our campus. And God has opened a small door into a world of people who are unchurched and lost in the disc golf community who do not know God. But that little first door has been open and there's a greeting and there's an opportunity to speak in and to love and to share. Are we at least excited about that? Do we see that as an opportunity? We're looking at ways that we can now start incorporating that and having some events to where we can actually start sharing the word with some of these people. But the door has been opened. Now we need to open that next door. Disc golf might not be your thing, but at least be praying for those doors to be open, right? That's what Paul, pray, pray, and support. Paul was made a minister. We've all been made a minister It's not just the pastors here. It's not just up to us for us to give you opportunities to serve. God has given you your own ministry, your own load to bear. He's put you somewhere in the world where he wants you to be a light, where he wants you to share, where he wants you to impact. Be light. You hear the heart of Paul? He understood where he came from and what God had did for him. And he just wants to share it with others. And he was faithful, faithful to the point that now, here we are, we have it. Don't think that your impact is small and won't, Effect. It'll reach further in the fabrics of people's minds and heart than you could ever imagine. And I believe one day God will show you when you get to him in heaven, he'll show you the impact you've had for the gospel. What is our duty with the gospel? It's to share it with all. Look at this next one, this next truth. You guys are going to have to be patient with me because I'm about to get excited with this next one. This is, this is some transcendent knowledge that God brought to me and I realized some things that I had not thought about and learned from some things here that get me pumped up. And so bear with me as I share my excitement. Um, the purpose of the gospel, and he's like, oh, this is obvious, but the purpose of the gospel is to give God all the glory. Look what he says here, and we're going to really have to pay attention and, and, and think hard and understand and kind of m- maybe do a little bit of like creativity here with this one. He says here in verse 10, he said that the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that, so that through the what? Everybody looking? So that through the what? Yeah, you got it. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And then verse 11 says this, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized are brought forth in Christ Jesus. What in the world does that mean? So that through the church, the manifold or the complete bringing all of these things together, the complete manifold wisdom of God. What does he say there? Might now, now, today's time, now, be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly 
places. This is where I'm going to have fun with it. So I want you guys to have fun with me. God has created time. He's created the world. He's created the universe. But there's also a heavenly realm that exists where there's angels and rulers and authorities that God has created. They're created beings that are finite. He made us in his image. So let me paint a, paint a picture for you. Put yourself as an angel in heaven. You watch this beautiful, beautiful, most, most perfect, holy, beautiful angel God ever created. And has given him this power second to him. Rebel and try to fight for God's spot. And be cast out of heaven with a third of the stars, a third of the angels with him. And now, as you're watching, you're seeing God throw him down to the earth. And there are angels and demons that have been confined to the earth and waging war with God. You're a finite being, but you're, you're getting to watch as God initiates a plan. And so you're there in the garden. You're there to see this enemy, this powerful enemy, take God's creatures who he made in his own image. He's done no creature like that. No angel, no creature. We are made in his image that God walked with and talked with and fellowshiped with. You watch them rebel against God just like this angel did. But instead of seeing God destroy these people, he closed them. And he makes a promise of a snake killer that would come and destroy the serpent once and for all. And so you as an angel are watching throughout history these things unfold. All the time being commissioned by God. You're there. I'm being told by God. I've got to go out and help. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. But I'm, I'm getting to watch this plan unfold. And I hear talk about this Messiah. And so the angels have a unique perspective to be able to sit back and watch. And the scripture tells us that angels long to look into these things. Specifically salvation. And so they're curious and they're watching. Then comes Jesus. Then comes this mystery that had been hidden for ages. And Jesus, who is the Messiah, the angels are watching and probably rejoicing as they're like, man, this is the best thing ever. We get the side road seat. We get to watch this go on. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden, this, this horrible man, son of perdition, betrays him and sends him over and trades him over to the people who want him dead. And they rail at him, they mock him, and they beat him, and they finally kill the one they've been trying to kill, the Messiah. Oh, wait, this is, this, is, this is the one God promised. This is God himself, and he's killed. And on the third day, he rises from the dead. He rises from the dead. And he defeats death, hell, and Satan in the grave once and for all. And you get to watch this plan unfold. And then in Acts chapter 2, God's spirit falls on people. And he comes, what? He comes and he lives in them? Wait, 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 wait. God's, God's residence is in heaven. No one can approach him. And, 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 and no one can come to him. No man has seen him at any time. But yet he's going to go live in these fleshly creatures that are weak and frail and laden with sin. Live within them and make his dwelling place there. What he's saying in this verse is that the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to once and for all manifest that God is worthy of all the glory. And so partial knowledge had been given over time. And God wants his angels as well as those who rebelled against him to see that he will vindicate himself over everyone and everything and that he gets the glory alone. And he does that, church, he does that through us. Think about that. 
so that through the church, the complete wisdom of God would be made known now, finally, to these heavenly beings that have probably been curious and wondering this whole time, wanting to know more about God. They don't know God like we know him. We're made in his image. And they learn from us. That's why in 1 Corinthians 11, women are told to show a sign of submission to their husbands for the sake of the angels. There's so, listen, what we do impacts angels. And the church now, the church now helps angels praise him better. They, hey, they obeyed him and they praised him because they were supposed to. But now they see the complete wisdom of God through us. The gospel being manifested through us. And now angels praise him better because of us. They're watching it's also why Paul tells us to be careful when you talk to strangers because it could be an angel. God cares deeply about his created beings and what little bit we know is we have a deep impact on heavenly beings. We are a special group of people and God has chose to do through us something unfathomable but beautiful. This is the type of information that we must know because when we truly grasp this and understand the weight of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, And the awesomeness of that, that will begin to change us. I hope it does. The purpose of the gospel is to give God all the glory. And then look at this uh, final part. The benefit of the gospel. Man, that word, I just, I don't know how to say. These outlines bug me sometimes, man. Even when I say it, I'm like, man, that's just not grasping. The benefit, the awesome privilege and result of the gospel is this. He just used the word Jesus Christ, that this purpose has been realized in Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12, in whom, Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Oh, oh, church, if you've been saved, if God has forgiven you of your sins and he dwells within you, God has given you access boldly to his throne. You have access to God in a way that no one throughout history ever has. This is so mysterious to a Jewish person. Because to go into the place of where God resides means you will die if you're not there worthily. You don't, you don't go boldly and confidently into God's presence. No, you do what Daniel did and you fall on your faces dead when God's around. But through faith in Jesus and the power that works in the gospel, through Jesus, has now given us bold, confident access to the holy created, the holy creator of the universe. We can go to him boldly to find help in a time of need, as Hebrews says. Now listen. How often do you go to God knowing I have complete access to him? And then how often do you feel unworthily to go to him? And so you don't go to him and you wallow in your guilt because you feel like you're not worthy to go to him. Listen, in that moment, you are neglecting the power and the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross. His grace is greater than our sins. Go boldly to your God. Give it to him. Ask for forgiveness. Go to him. He loves you. Cast your care on him. You have now through Jesus A beautiful privilege and benefit of the gospel is access to God that no other person ever in history or ever now apart from Christ has or ever will have. And that's all through Jesus in the gospel. I have something, guys, I want want to show you. Several years ago, there was a missionary, a family, who went to Papua New Guinea to the Moke people 
and he brought the light of the gospel to these people, but he didn't know their language. He had to put their language in a, in a way that could be in, in writing, and he had to spend many, many months with these people just getting to know them, just getting to know them and loving them, never once sharing the gospel, learning their language, and then time finally came for him to present to the village the message that he had said that he came to bring them, and they knew something special was happening. They knew something special was happening. And so they spent months, literally months, every day, two times a day, teaching the gospel message from the book of Genesis all the way up through Revelation. And so I want you to see, first and foremost, the power of the gospel who live in darkness. Watch this. They developed a sincere reverence of God and feared daily that God might rightly destroy them because of their sin. They said, we are just like those people in Sodom and Gomorrah. For two months, we taught key Old Testament stories chronologically before we finally introduced Jesus Christ as the Savior born as a babe in this world. As we studied the life of Christ, they fell in love with him and Jesus became the Moke hero. They loved him and they idolized him. Never during the weeks Mark taught did a villager miss a lesson, though he taught for three months, Monday through Friday, two times a day. Villagers that were sick were brought on makeshift stretchers. And when an expectant mother was near delivery, they arranged for her to be close enough to the meeting to hear the story. The baby arrived in the middle of one of the sessions, but the teaching still went on. At times, the moke were so intense, they stopped eating and would not even sleep. They spent every waking moment discussing the message and re-listening over and over again to the lessons recorded on cassette tapes. This wonderful Jesus was perfect, and he could do anything. He was God. finally came to explain the betrayal by Judas and the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Judas's betrayal was upsetting to the moat, but they still had faith that somehow Jesus would escape. That was the last story we told them before the gospel presentation. At the end of it, we said, tomorrow we will finish our talk. The next morning, the people were all gathered before sunrise. I told the story of Jesus appearing before Pilate. The people were very sober. When during our skit they saw Jesus being spit upon, beaten, and finally put to death, they were simply appalled. They were distraught. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Because the death and shedding of blood is so significant to the gospel story, we had rigged a balloon filled with colored water to be pierced by our designated Roman soldier. It was when they saw the blood that the story began to take on significance. Our explanation and portrayal of Jesus Christ's resurrection was simple, but to them, very powerful. The Savior was alive. 
Then I went back into the Old Testament stories and beginning with Abel, explained how Jesus was our acceptable sacrifice, just like Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. When I finally reached the story of Abraham and Isaac, I said to them, Listen, just as a real lamb was substituted for Isaac, so Christ's death and blood has been shed as a substitution for you. At that point, the lights really went on. I could see and hear them responding all over the crowd. I believe! I believe! I believe! I stood in their midst and asked them what they thought. From all over, responses came like this. I know I was born in sin. I believe Jesus paid for my sin, that he died in my place. He is my sin bearer. I lived in fear trying to please the spirits, for I knew no other way to be free from sin. But God in his grace has sent you to us. I've heard it and believe the death and blood of Christ is payment for my sin. I believe it, and God has forgiven me. Village believers stating that he too believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Itao, which means it's true or it's good, it's very true. Village grammar rejoicing that he believes, so does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. Itao, it's good, it's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours. Watch that. The joy of being saved, but the joy of seeing others saved. Church, what are we doing? Forgotten our purpose, what God has saved us from, but what He saved us for. 
I want to have beautiful feet. I want to have feet that go and take the gospel. So I want to challenge you. One of your pastors, my duty is to equip you, but also to stir you and exhort you. First and foremost, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I, I don't have that joy. I've never, I've never been saved. I've just been around it my whole life. Never been saved. But just like those people who heard the message, do you believe it? Do you believe it? And if you believe it, call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to forgive you and to save you. That's it. That's it. Maybe you've never realized the responsibility you have for the gospel. And you've got people in your life. You've got family. You've got people at work. You've got people who are surrounded by you, who have light in you, and you've never done anything to try to help them or reach them and bring this light to them. Maybe you just want to pour your heart out to God. So here's what I want to ask. Just for the encouragement of the body, there's nothing special about these steps. Nothing magical about it. But there's a place, come and pour your heart out to God for whatever the reason may be. Come here during the music and pour your heart out to God and be an encouragement to your brothers and sisters. So would you stand with me? How's God moving you? Let him work in your heart. Sing with joy and with passion. And don't hold back. Come and pour your heart out on these steps. Took the nails and took our place. No 